of all the voices that call out to tell us who we are, God. You tell us that we are loved by you. Is it possible that it's really that simple? That you are a good father and that we are loved by you. You created all that we see and then you created man and woman. And then Satan told them that you weren't a good father and that they weren't loved by you. And they believed. And so many times we do as well. And it robs us of the joy that you intended us to have. Our good Father. Today, as we look into your word, God, remind us that you are a good Father. And that we are loved by you. It is who we are. In the midst of everything else that Satan may be trying to tell us, that, that this world may be trying to tell us, the bottom line is we are loved by you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. I invite you to be seated. I release the children through grade four as they go to the classes that have been prepared for them. And we're doing a little bit different today than normal. If you come to Calvary a lot, you know that generally speaking, we look at a passage and, and we unpack that passage. And, uh, and today we're going to do something a little bit different as we, as we begin to unpack the brochure that was handed out the last couple of weeks. And if you didn't get one of these and you'd like one, you can grab one out in the lobby after the service. But it's an important document as we're just starting to look at where are we moving as a church and what is God calling us to? And we looked a couple of weeks ago at how how we are about knowing Christ and making him known. Last week we looked at the, that great idea of how we encourage one another to serve him, to be his servants who are serving him. And so this week we're going to step into the inside of the brochure and begin looking at some of the, some of the points that are in there. And they're in your bulletin. If you didn't grab the brochure, you'll have them there. But as we look at this summer this year, and you know we've had a summer theme for the past few years. We're doing it a little bit differently this year. We don't have a summer reading program as such, but we do have the quiet waters in which we're just reading through two chapters of Scripture every day and then looking at that devotionally. So we'd invite you to jump in on that if you haven't been here and continue in that. But the summer this year, we're looking at what would it be like if we intentionally made this a summer of encouragement. A summer where we just encourage one another. And this doesn't mean like, you know, coming and saying, wow, Anissa, I really like your outfit. Or, or you know, or man, Jorgen, your hair looks great. You know, or, or something like that. Okay, we're talking about how do we encourage each other as servants of God? And what does that look like? The text that we'll be holding for this summer, it comes from Hebrews chapter 10, 25. It's there in your bulletin. Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. Jesus is coming back. And there are still many, 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 many people who need to know who Jesus is. And so we encourage one another to be about the work of the Lord until the day approaches. And so what does that mean in our lives? As I've started thinking about that, I, I thought about 
Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And we'll be moving all through Scripture today. And if you keep up, that's great. Your, your apps on your phone will make you do really good. But the, the Scriptures are mostly in your, in your notes there. But Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul is writing to this church in Rome, and he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And we're like, boy, we can understand that. Paul's this amazing apostle in Scripture. He, he wrote most of the New Testament, and he's just used by God in such a powerful way. And he had such a dramatic and amazing conversion that, that turned him over to the Lord. And so we can understand that he'd be ready to come to the church in Rome and impart on them. But the next verse is so significant to me. That is, he says, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You get that? That is so huge when you think about it, that Paul is saying, I can't wait to come and see you so that I can be encouraged by you. See, Paul understood this whole idea of what encouragement was and what it was that was needed so strongly in each of our lives is to be encouraged. How many of you need words of encouragement spoken into your life every day? Words of life instead of words of death. And we've talked about how we can easily become accusing of each other as opposed to interceding for each other. And so what does this look like for us to have this summer of encouragement? And our big idea for today is that as members of the family of God, we encourage one another. And so at Calvary, we're about this. And of course, this relates to the church as large as well. But we understand that we're co-members of the family of God. And we've talked about that a lot over the last year or so, but just a couple of highlights here to help us remember, because it's important, I think, to be reminded often of the truths that God has. John 1, verses 12 and 13, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. We're actually children of God. Once you come to a place in your life where you recognize that your sin has separated you from God, the gospel that Luke told us about, that your sin has separated you from God, and that it's earned the wrath of God, and the penalty of death is what you deserve, but Jesus came and paid that penalty of death. God took on flesh, and made his dwelling among us, and, and he took the death penalty for us. And as you come to a point in your life where you understand and know that you've sinned against God, and you recognize that, and you repent, and you turn, and you say, God, I know that I deserve your wrath, and I know that I deserve death, but I ask that you would forgive me. I turn from that. And then at that point, the blood of Jesus Christ pays the penalty for your sin, and you are set free and you become, none. whoever said woohoo, yeah, there we go, all right, thank you. Got a man bun and everything, but all right, so here we go. Children of God. Romans 8 tells us that, that, that um, we are actually adopted and the spirit of God moves with our spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Even the Lord's prayer pattern, when they came, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, he said, okay, here's how you pray, our Father, our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. See, even in the prayer pattern that Jesus gives us, it's, it's us as a family. It's our Father. Give us. Each one of us needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in order to have security in heaven. In order to enter into this family of God, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's not private. It's part of the family. And we come together as a group together. Our Father, forgive us. Hebrews chapter two, verse 11, Jesus, uh, the author of Hebrews says this, both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are being made holy, that's those of us who are being saved, are of the same family. So, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Think about that. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. Now how many times have you done things in your life and you've just felt ashamed? You felt like, I failed. I failed really badly and I have shamed God. And I'm sure that God is ashamed of me. This verse tells us, no, we're part of the family. We are part of the same family. And so, Jack, Jesus comes and says, I'm, this, is, this is Jack. I'm not ashamed of Jack. I'm not ashamed of Tom. Look at, here's Penny. Man, I, wow, I want to show you. She's my sister. See, that's the idea here. Not ashamed because we're part of the family of God. Now, you do things different in a family, don't you? It's a holiday weekend. Lots of you have family here, and it's fun to see all the, all the people who drop in on holiday weekends and see all the families together, and, and, and you know, it takes up whole rows now. It's really cool. But when you look at that and you think, you're going to have some great family picnics and things like that, and you do things in families that, that are different than you do outside the family. See, the, the amazing thing about the family of God Aaron, you and I are going to be together forever. Forever! And Aaron's thinking, phew. And maybe you're thinking of someone in the room and you're going, oh man, I don't know. See, we're a forever family. Right? And that is so cool to think that we will always be together. And we want our family to be as large as possible. So we encourage one another to serve the Lord. The first thing we see is that we encourage each other to be in awe of God and to delight in him. And of course, a couple of years ago, we looked at The Dangerous Duty of Delight by John Piper. And so this has become something we've talked about before. But I think Psalm 118 says this, the Lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation. He's my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. Are you in awe of God? As you stop to think about who God is, are you in awe of him? 
And do you delight in him? Last night I left here, eh, a little after eight, something like that, and I'm headed home, and it is raining so hard, probably harder than I've ever seen it rain, at least it seems like to actually. And I've got the wipers going like this, you know, and it's not doing any good. Should have used Rain-X, but it's going like crazy, and I'm driving like 25 miles an hour because I can hardly see the road in front of me but the sun is shining right in my eyes. You know, because the cloud, I was driving, driving home, and, and, and the clouds were up high enough, and the sun was down low enough, and it was shining right in my eyes, and I thought, this is crazy. I need to put my sunglasses on, but I can't see if I put, and, and then I got home and pulled in the garage, and there was the rainbow. Whew. Amen. Don't you love rainbows? You know, I know that people have rainbows as symbols for all sorts of things. But I know what the rainbow is a symbol of. The rainbow is a symbol of the unchanging nature of God. The absolute certainty we have that God keeps his promises. We have an absolute symbol of the power of God. Only God can put a rainbow in the sky. No one else can. But God can, and he does it in the most crazy way. In the middle of a storm, the sun shines. Do you see? You see that, and you look at it, and you're in awe of it. And then you rejoice because in the middle of a storm, the sun S-O-N, shines. Amen? And it reminds you that, listen, in the middle of whatever you're experiencing, whatever adversities you may be in, whatever's happening, God is faithful. And I rejoice in that. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, the Westminster Catechism says. Not one or the other, both. The Bible actually commands us to rejoice. It commands us to be filled with joy, to rejoice It says rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Right? It's like, I think I can handle anything that comes into my life because I know that my name is written in the book of life and I will be there forever. So we rejoice. Now sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard, but you see, rejoicing is actually joy. Having delight in who God is is actually obedience. It's actually obeying what God has told us to do. And if we don't rejoice, we lessen the glory that he receives. And so we need to encourage each other in that. Because even as I get the text from Robbie, as Dave calls me on the phone and I'm able to text Robbie, and I'm able to start communicating with him about, about Hunter. In the midst of that, 
His texts back are still worse, so overwhelmed by the love of God as displayed through his people in the church. See, we encourage one another because there's moments in your life where it's hard to rejoice, right? But someone coming alongside of you, putting an arm around you and saying, we can have joy in the Lord in the midst of this because in the middle of the storm, the sun is shining. So how are, how are you encouraging others to be in awe of God first and then to delight in him? The second thing we see is that we encourage each other to focus on God and the integrity of his word, the Bible. How do we encourage each other to focus on God and the integrity of his word? See, our God speaks. Our God speaks. The God of the universe is a God who speaks. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and how did he do that? He spoke, and it came into being. And then he spoke through the prophets. He spoke through the patriarchs. He revealed his law. He revealed his plan. He revealed his gospel. And then there was a period of silence where God didn't speak through prophets. And then, bursting the silence, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus came and the word spoke again. And this time the word gave a visual expression of the very thoughts of God. And the, the word was expressed to us and then the word was preserved for us. First Peter tells us that prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the word of God. This is not a book that contains truth. This book is truth, John 17. This book is a, are the very word of God given to us to instruct us, to guide us, to give us all that we need to know about him and his revelation for salvation. All that we need to know about God is contained within this book. It doesn't mean that other books don't have value. I have many books on my shelf, but the only book that has any inspiration or a total inspiration from God to, for my life is God's word. So how do we treat God's word? Sometimes you'll notice I, I'll be up here and I'll be fidgeting with this and, and some people have asked me, why are you fidgeting with that? You see, the word of God is central to what we do here. And the reason the podium is in the center of the room is because the word of God is central to what we do. I have nothing of value to say to you if it's not rooted in the word of God. And so some churches may have pulpits on the sides and things like that, but here, the pulpit's in the middle. So I always am trying to get it as close as possible. Is that crazy? Perhaps. But you see, I love the word of God. And I value that, and I long for that to be the case for all of us. One of the most amazing chapters is, is Psalm 119. And, and it's right in the middle of your Bible, a little more towards the back. Psalm 119. And, and whenever you're reading through the Psalms, when you get to Psalm 119 and you realize, oh my goodness, this is six pages. And you're like, ooh, I don't know if I can get through this. And then you realize it's a chapter that's talking about how much you love the Word. And you're going, oh man, I guess that wasn't good. And so, you know, you... <laughs> Let's just pick a few verses out of here. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. 
I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Listen, are you hiding God's word in your heart? Do you, do you seek the Lord with all your heart? Do you understand that the way to keep your way pure is by living according to the word of God? Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's so significant. How do you know for a fact that Jesus Christ lives today? The Bible tells me that Jesus lives today. So when I don't feel as though God's with me, when I don't feel as though his presence is with me, I perish in my affliction unless I know the law is my delight and I know that what God has said is true and it keeps me from being destroyed. Verse 97 and forward. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers. I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from, from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. The promised land for the Israelites was a, plan, uh, a land of milk and honey. Honey was this delicacy. It was a, a sweet thing that was rarely attained, and so it was craved after and longed for. So do you have a favorite candy? Any of you have a favorite candy? Maybe it's Turkish Delight. No, we won't go there. Okay, so, or maybe we will. It is good. Do you have a favorite candy or, or a dessert? Something that maybe you're, you know, you, you, you only get once in a great while. Can, can you kind of taste it now? You know, are you kind of salivating a little? Thinking, mmm. And now you're going, oh, great, I know what I have to do after church. Got to go get some of that. The psalmist is saying here that the word of God is sweeter than that. It's so sweet that, that we crave it. Listen, do you, do you crave the word of God? Is it sweet to you? As you consider what it means, I remember so many years, I would spend a large segment of Sunday morning trying to find my Bible because I had thrown it somewhere after church on Sunday afternoon the week before and I didn't know where it was. It wasn't sweet to me. It wasn't something I craved. And it was like that for a lot of years in my life. And then it became something special. It is the sweetest thing that I have on this earth. 
I love you, dear. But the word of God is sweet to me. And I long for us to be encouraging each other to have it be sweet to us. That it isn't something that just gets pulled out and brought in on Sunday. But it's something that has a major part in each of our lives every day. Because the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Listen, do you want peace in your life? The word of God will bring you peace. When the whole world starts to shake and doesn't make sense, the word of God reveals the nature and the character of God. And it's a rock on which you can stand. It's living and active. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God. The word of God hidden in your heart allows you to resist sin. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can endure. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You have verses in your heart so that when that temptation comes, and it will, do you have the word of God in your heart so that you can stand up against that temptation that comes? Oh, let's encourage each other to love the word of God. We encourage each other to pray. We strive to be a people of prayer who are constantly learning how to have our will submitted to God's will. Second Chronicles chapter seven. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We use that verse and we understand that, but it's, it's this idea if they will humble themselves and pray. Micah 6, 8. 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Listen, we need to become a people of prayer, even more than we have been. We can't be a people who are talking, trying to solve each other's problems. Listen, I can't solve my own problems. I can't solve yours. But I know who can. Jesus is there. God is there. And as we turn to God in prayer, God speaks to us through his word and this communication goes on and we have the strength that we need to do the work that God has given us to do. Think of how many times Jesus went off to a solitary place to pray. How many times he went with others to pray. He brought the disciples with them to pray. They fell asleep, but he brought them to pray. How many times are we coming together and encouraging each other to pray? If you get a phone call from someone and they're, they're experiencing a problem, how many times do we step into trying to fix that problem? Or how many times do we stop and pray? Ugh. Last year's verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Turn to him. Recognize that he's there. Recognize that he's in the room with you. And he will make your paths straight. So many times we talk more about what we're going to pray about than we do praying for that thing. So how can we encourage each other to be people of prayer? How can I be doing that? And understand, just like Paul, I need this encouragement from all of you as well. We encourage each other. Because we're a family. 
The last thing. We encourage each other to have all aspects of our worship bring glory to God. I love that. All aspects of our worship. Every part of what we do is recognizing and acknowledging the magnificence of God. First Chronicles chapter 16. And in First Chronicles chapter 16, we find the original placement of Psalm 96 that contains our verses for this year. But in the midst of this, this is David offering the song to the Lord as the tabernacle or as the uh, Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem. And he says this in verse 27, Splendor, splendor and majesty are before God, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O family of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. In the Tree of Life version, it says, bow down to Adonai in holy splendor. The sovereignty of God compels us to give glory, offering, and worship in every aspect of what we do. And we take the individual worship that we have of God during the week and we bring that together in here. And we, we have corporate worship or worship together. And that looks different than it does when we do it individually. But all aspects of our worship, whether that be the time that I'm in the scripture alone, in, in my basement, in the office, in the study, and I'm there alone and I'm worshiping God, in my prayer time alone with God, in, in, in the times that I have my iTunes on and I'm singing with God, in the times I'm in communication with Karen and we're praying together, and then as we come together in the room here and we're opening the word together in all of those aspects of our worship that it brings glory to God. And what that means is our motives are absolutely pure. Our motives are about God and God alone and not ourselves. Because in order to fully worship God in everything we do in a way that brings him glory, we need to put ourselves aside. One of the definitions that I found about um, found for glory that has really helped me is is it means to put the spotlight on. So who's the spotlight on in my life? Is the spotlight on me? Oh my! God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. I don't need the spotlight on me. I don't want the spotlight on me. Even as I stand up here, I. I pray so often, please, Lord, I want to be just a channel. I don't want people tethered to me. I want people tethered to Jesus. I'm, I'm a guy, and, and I got all sorts of junk. But Jesus is good. And, and so our worship brings glory and honor to him. And so we put ourselves aside and put him first. And we encourage each other to do that. When we see places in our lives where, where people are starting to be exalted above God, we say, no, 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 stop there. Stop there, no, no, no. No, he doesn't share his glory. He doesn't share his glory. So, as a family of God,
we encourage each other. We encourage each other to be in awe and take delight in God. Encourage each other to be rooted in the word. Encourage each other to be praying in a way that submits our heart to him. And we encourage each other to have all aspects of our worship, whether privately or together, bring honor and glory to God. So Luke, I'm going to ask you and the team to come up because this can seem overwhelming and it can seem like we can't, we can't do this, but we can, you see, because we are more than conquerors, Scripture tells us in Romans 8. It says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the Lord Jesus. He is in us. He is moving in us. And his plan is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through us. Wahoo! Amen! But we need to encourage each other to do this, don't we? Because I'm, I tell you what, I get scared, I get nervous, I get, you know, apathetic, I get complacent. Anybody else? Good, okay, don't feel lonely. Let's sing the song. 